When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At the Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com slash workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Doolittle, after Dr. Doolittle, the man who talks to the animals, we always take a lyric from one of the songs and use that for the title, like Surfer Rose, like Come on, Pilgrim, they're all from, from the words. Mm-hmm. So in terms of a, a, an album title, it's fairly abstract and meaningless. It's just a word from a song. And it's kind of nice. It's a cute little word because it looks like the monkey's name is Doodle. It's a cute little name for a cute little monkey. Mm. Actually, it's a dead monkey stuffed. <laughs> it's cute in a way. And welcome back to No Filler the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Travis. I got my brother Quentin with me, as always. And that was Mr. Charles Thompson IV, also known as Black Francis Q, of the Pixies in 1989 on an interview for this Dutch TV show called On Rust, explaining that uh, the name Doodle for this record has very little meaning behind it other than uh you know they put a monkey on the cover obviously a nod to the song monkey gone to heaven right but i thought it was funny that he was like oh it's just a cute little monkey but wait the the monkey's actually dead so (laughs) it's a dead monkey it's a dead monkey it's cute which is funny to me because i think that's a good way to explain the dichotomy of like his their songs you know like the the loud screaming and stuff that he will do sometimes like on top of these like otherwise kind of like poppy traditional sounding like rock song structures, you know, dude, we're getting right into it, man. I'm coming right into it. But you know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of like part of their, their, their deal. Right. So like, totally look at that. It's just a cute little monkey. Then you examine it a little bit closer and it's like, Oh, it's a dead monkey. (laughs) So anyway, we are talking about obviously um, the Pixies second record, Doolittle came out in 1989. Uh, we're hot off the heels of our Sonic Youth episode a couple weeks back. Um, if you haven't listened to that, I highly encourage it. it uh, it's probably one of our best episodes. We had uh, Mr. David Brown. I mean, all thanks to David Brown, right? That's why it's our best episode. All thanks to David. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we, we had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Rolling Stone uh, senior writer David Brown, author of the Sonic Youth biography, Goodbye 20th Century, and we talked about uh, all sorts of stuff, man. But I feel like Pixies is a great, great segue from Sonic Youth. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities uh, in the sound, but I, you know, I think Pixies took more of that like punk and aggressive sound um, with the way that, that Black Francis uh, approached his singing, like his singing style is very distinct. When we talk about bands that influence grunge, like Sonic Youth and Pixies are, are two bands that come up quite a bit. Yeah, and what's interesting about Pixies, and I just revisited this album today. Um, I hadn't listened to it in years, but again, we're, we're covering Doolittle, which came out in 89. 
And yeah, the big difference that I heard with them is that they did like some of the songs almost sound like the more radio friendly new wave. Yeah. But with that juxtaposed like harsh and raw, almost screaming kind of vocal delivery that Black Francis brought to the table. And that's yeah, dude, they they're like if you look at Sonic Youth and what they did and like the more no wave kind of movement from from post punk, Pixies found a way to like take the radio friendly new wave sound and put a little more aggression on it, but still, I mean, it was it's still really accessible, you know? Yeah. Like really different. It's interesting you said new wave because uh the producer of this record Gil Norton uh, was actually the producer of the Echo and the Bunny Man record, Ocean Rain. Yeah, and that was the the more like poppy side of of the coin that was coming out of, you know, like the arena rock of the seventies and the whole, you know, the movement behind like trying to reinvigorate rock. You know, like you had your no wave and your post punk that was more like I don't know abrasive, you know, and like purposely different. And yeah, Pixies was writing that that line, you know, yeah, in a really unique way. And uh, yeah, I I think what makes what makes Pixies Pixies is his vocal delivery, and like he like grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I feel like he brings like the energy of like a a reverend on the pulpit, you know, screaming oh, yeah. about stuff like to to his vocal delivery which is what makes it so interesting and like uh, specifically now you know they they even are sort of he, he's sort of like modest about it trying to say that like they it's like they invented this but like the the loud quiet loud dynamic of a lot of their songs is sort of like referenced as like um, a, a massive massive way that the pixies influenced a lot of the the alt rock and indie stuff that would that would come after it you know so another thing too is you know, you've got his vocal delivery, and then you've got Kim Deal, um, bass player, right? You've got her, like, monotone, like, very similar to Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. Something about uh, the, the name, Kim. <laughs> right. Bass player? Yeah, dude. But I think that's the one-two punch, dude. Yeah, you're right. Black Francis and his vocal delivery alongside Kim Deal and, and the way she delivers her vocals, man. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, man, there's nothing like it. She, you know, she she didn't really seem to have as much of a uh, a a a role out in the front of the group as Kim Gordon did with Sonic Youth. Like, you know, her vocals aren't featured prominently as much as Kim Gordon's were on Sonic Youth, right? But she's still there, you know, doing this sort of background stuff occasionally that does really sound like like Kim Gordon. And yeah, speaking of similarities, it, it you know, she had never played bass before before as well. Which I think is kind of interesting. So that is interesting. Lots of similarities. Dude. Yeah. And uh, one more thing here before we jump and jump into the record, Charles references uh, or he points to Sonic Youth as a as an influence. So he says that uh, you know he listened to a lot of Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, Husker Du, which we talked about uh, with with David, uh, and uh, Sonic Youth and Violent Femmes. And then he says that they listened to a bunch of sixty stuff as well, like Donovan and the Animals. Nice. So yeah, he, he 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 you know has a pretty well-rounded uh, list of influences that he brought in. He said that like when he was a kid, he wanted to try out country and rock and blues, punk rock, metal, hardcore, reggae. He literally just like listed every type of genre just about, and like tried to write songs in each of those genres. And you can kind of hear that throughout this record. Like there's a lot of styles and genres that are getting blended, and they all sort of go through the Pixies like you know funnel or whatever and come out the other end as a pixie song yeah all right anyway so yeah let's jump so, into it here dude yeah dude this is a music heavy episode like this is it as far as history goes we're done yeah there may be some little anecdotes here and there that i throw in but for the most part let's just dive right into into the tunes here yeah we got five five songs to cover five songs and we could do we could have this could have been like our second episode because we've only done one before with in rainbows uh, where we just played every song, you know, because like every song is so great, dude, and so different and definitely worth listening to 
on no filler. And a lot of them are under under three minutes. You know, they're not very long. Yeah, short and sweet. So let's just jump right into the first track, dude. Yeah. And this is how the record starts. And it's a great, great way to start a record. So technically, this is not a single from the record. It did appear as a single for their greatest hits uh, type CD that came out. We get a pass on that, dude. I don't yeah. think that counts as a single. Yeah. Not technically an album single. So here we go. This is the first track. This song is called Debaser. So he, you know, he sets the table right there. Like this is what you're getting into. This is the kind of this is it kind man. of song you're gonna hear. Yeah, but yeah, like take away his vocals and that song, the melody and stuff like that behind that. Like, I think, like you were saying, it's kind of like a kind of your more classic sounding '80s kind of. It's got the new wave, the new wave riffs. vibe. Yeah, yeah, dude. But that's what makes it so interesting. Is that his voice on top of that type of song, the really simple, straightforward song, is just perfect. Like, it's the perfect combination. Yeah, man. And I, I love the way his vocals are recorded, like, while he's just... I mean, really, he's just screaming the word debaser over and over. Yeah. You know, it sounds almost like he's in, in the next room over, just screaming it <laughs> over and over. And then you've got Kim Deal... Just very calmly saying it alongside him. Like, it's just so cool, dude. Mm-hmm. I, this has always been one of my favorite songs off of this record and one of my favorite Pixie songs. Yeah, well, that's that's something that they, you know, the, the simplicity of the songs, like, the, you know, they said that they tried really hard during the rehearsal sessions and stuff, making the demos and whatnot. Like, when they were perfecting these songs to just, like, distill them down into, like, the most simplest form. Because I, I think that's that's what makes it work so well is just how simple like the the template is I guess the uh, the base of the song you know if you will and then like what he does on top of it. Are you saying the base of the song? The baser. Talking about the the baser of the song. <laughs> so cute. And do you know what this song is about? No, I want to know what that Spanish line is over and over. Well, that is the name of the movie that he's talking about, Q. Got me a movie. Oh, okay. And then he talks about slicing up eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. That is a reference to the movie of the name of uh, that lyric that he's apparently mispronouncing, but I'm going to say it like he said it, Unchain Andalusia. That is the name of this like French film from the 20s uh, starring- Well, how do you pronounce it correctly, Trev? I have no clue. I think I'm going to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> I like saying it like he says it, Q. Anyway, but it's called Unchain Andalou. Um, he's kind of mispronouncing it, like he's adding some flair to it there. But anyway, uh, apparently there's a scene uh, in which this woman's eye is sliced open with a straight razor. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's an artsy French film. Um, anyway, so like he's literally just talking about this movie, really. And so apparently, you know, ever since this song came out, like that movie is sort of this, you know, well-known film that people watch in college and art art school and shit like that because you know 
you got to see the scene, right? You can't hear about slicing up eyeballs and not want to go see the scene that he's talking about. But anyway. Um, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to see it. But, you dude, know. tis the season. It's October. <laughs> this is the time to All watch right. horror movies, man. Sure. Uh, anyway, apparently Salvador Dali is featured in the film, which is kind of kind of cool, right? Is he the one slicing up the eyeballs? Uh, I don't know. You know, I didn't actually look it up, Q. Okay. Anyway, so uh, I wanted to talk about his approach to songwriting because when you know that that his um, his approach is music first, lyrics second, I think it's kind of interesting because then it's more like, you know, what what fits with this music, right? I guess, or just like more random. And anyway, there's a really interesting clip I'm going to play from this from this interview that I that I cued us in for the intro where he talks about this kind of stuff. So here we go. I'm going to jump back into this interview. He's talking about his songwriting process. I do my lyrics at the very, very last minute. I'm more into making music and coming up with poetic structure and accents and anti-accents. And then the, the lyrics come after I make a big shape like this. You know, and then I keep giving it more shape and shape and shape and shape. And then at the very end, when I need lyrics the day before I go sing in the studio, I take it out and I define it. And, you know, so I come up with the structure first. I think you're right, Q. I think he's a little bit, a little full of himself here. But that's, I mean, that's what I said behind the scenes, behind the scenes while, while I was playing. Anyway, if you're listening to what he's saying there, he focuses on the accents and the quiet parts. While he's writing the song, he doesn't really know what the lyrics are going to be necessarily. The funny thing is, I uh, that that's how Nathan Forrester of Grass Fight, the band that I was in for half a second, he would approach his songwriting the same way, where he would we would be working on songs and he wouldn't have the lyrics yet, and he would just sort of like hum, you know, into the make make the sound that maybe would work for the melody. He wouldn't have the lyrics yet. Well, yeah, a lot of musicians go that route, too. But that yeah. is cool that, that he said, like, a quiet part in the instrumentals that were, you know, being formed for the song would be, yeah. would translate to a quiet part in the way that he sings a line. Well, he's, yeah, and he's, I think he's saying that he's actually trying to determine as he's writing a song, okay, this part's going to be, I'm going to be more quiet here. I'm going to have some accent here that I add onto the word. And then you listen to Debaser, the the moments where he's like really screaming and emphasizing the word he may have already planned on doing that it didn't really matter what the words were going to be right anyway the way that he kind of breaks it down um i i always like hearing you know the way that songwriters especially like when they're young like this guy it's like sometimes you wonder like how what's how does their brain work when they do this kind of stuff because you know he was tapping into something that was relatively at least different enough to make this record stand out with like the 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 way that he approached his vocals like what was going on in his his mind you know i mean look at this baby face man this guy is so young when he wrote this i, I wonder what he must have been in his 20s right anyway yeah. yeah and and the fact that it came out in 89 dude it's still kind of hard to believe let's jump to our next song here dude we're going to just blow right through this so uh let's see uh i guess honorable mentions i i Almost had Wave of Mutilation as a pick for, for myself. Is that one not a single? No, it's not. Oh. So the sing- let's, let's talk about the singles. The singles are uh, Here Comes Your Man and Monkey Gone to Heaven. I thought Wave of Mutilation was a single too. I would have put money on it. Uh, but we're going to jump to track four here. And this song to me, dude, this is, a, this is like a grunge template, dude. Yeah, dude, totally. You can hear so much of the, of the grunge influence from this song. And again- 89. Just keep that in mind. This is before grunge hit. Yeah, exactly. It was right around the corner. All right. So this song is called I Bleed. Uh, 
you can hear the influence that they had on so many bands in the 90s and beyond dude and you can absolutely hear the influence that like violent films mm-hmm. had on them it's the lazy vocal delivery where it's almost no singing involved you know what i mean yeah i mean like he's just talking and that's where that's where kim as the background singer of this song like i love the way they do it because to me i think she's providing some more of the singing melody type yeah thing. and he's just like saying it you know kind of reminded me of um you know we we talked about talking heads i guess that was two weeks ago right um three weeks ago three weeks ago yeah in in uh born under punches how which came out just about a decade prior to this how he was just sort of talking the lines right yeah saying the lines yeah. and then they had some vocalists in the background just sort of singing the melodies and stuff. but what i liked about this was that like they were singing the same words together but she was like singing them and he was like just speaking them you know and it just works really well in this song yeah dude in verse two like he's just having fun with it man when he's like nobody knows <laughs> now to me he's doing like nobody knows the the trouble i see that that oh. song yeah, doesn't dude. it sound like that? Yes, the way he's call. doing it, I think that's what he's doing. They were the more like lighthearted side of the coin in the post punk world, but then they were mixing in those like more standard kind of pop songs, you know, kind of structure that you'd hear from from the more like radio friendly new wave stuff that was coming out in, in the eighties. Yeah, I think they are like he's very playful and stuff with the way he he delivers the lyrics and stuff, but. The actual words and the and the themes that he sings about, he he talks a lot about like religious religious imagery and stuff like that, uh, you know, things like drugs and and uh, you know de- depression and all that kind of classic stuff, right? But it's always you know delivered in this kind of playful way, like you're saying there. Um, and yeah, that nobody knows line is a perfect example of that. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get. Like, you know, you, you have no clue what you're... From track to track, dude. Well, yeah, where he's going to take the vocals. There's actually a quote here from the um, from the producer, like I was saying, Gil, Gil Norton. He says, I, I always think of uh, those sort of albums as a roller coaster ride. Once you got on it, you don't want to get off because it twists and turns in all these different directions. Ah, dude, I love that. The perfect explanation of this record, too. Yeah, perfect. Because there's so many different genres that you're going to hear, and then and you're going to you're going to get the Pixie stamp on it. You know, I'm shocked that it took us three years to talk about the Pixies, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's jump to the next track here, dude. Since we're just rolling through it here, and we're going to talk about we're going to jump down the record quite a bit to track eleven. And this song is called Number 13, Baby. Got hair in a girl that flows to her bones In a comb, in a pocket If the wind get blown Stripes on the rise when she walks slow But her face fall down when she go, go, go Black tear falling on my lazy queen Got a tattoo tip Say number 13 Baby Don't want no blue I slide low I want my 
you know what this reminds me of, dude? His lyrics reminds me of a lot of stuff, dude. But yeah, you go ahead, and then I'll tell <laughs> um, you what I, what I think of. I quoted from that interview with um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, dude. But the the singer in Underworld when mm. he was talking about how you know when they came back and did a uh, hundred days off, he started to kind of write songs kind of more in like a conversational way yeah like you know with with just writing all the details of like the room that he's in or like the the t-shirt that someone is wearing in a conversation that he's having stuff like that where it's like really just the small little tiny details like Mm -hmm. that's i've always liked that about about pixie's music yeah this is um it's hard to know what this is about but in an interview an 89 interview with uh nme Black Francis said, this is a collage of images of when I was growing up in L.A. Number 13 traditionally means bad luck, but in America, especially in the 60s, among bikers and Chicanos, the number 13 is the 13th letter of the alphabet, M for marijuana. It's a really goofy subculture, but it's kind of funny, and even today you can see it spray-painted on walls. The Meter Boys, number 13. So it is about a Mexican girl or a Samoan girl, a boyish sexual adolescent collage of Southern California living. That's there you go. wow, dude. Learn something new every day, man. There you go, Q. You heard it here first from Black Francis himself in 89. So yeah, he's singing from the perspective of himself as an adolescent boy saying to himself, he, he you know, he wants one of those girls he sees on the street corner with the, the 13 tattooed. On her body. <laughs> on her tit. Jack. On her tit, specifically. <laughs> uh, detail not not worth overlooking. So anyway, um, yeah, so vocally, I man, I hear a lot of Jack White in this. You know how Jack White does this quite a bit? So there's got to be something to be said about Jack White um, being influenced by Black Francis, perhaps. Well, and the, and the way that he sings? Yeah. Yeah. And then... Let me let me let me hear it, dude. Are you hearing early spoon as well? Because I sure do. Early I didn't spoon. hear it, but I'm gonna listen now for it, dude. Early. I'm talking, you know, their their early EPs, Telefono, and like stuff. Soft Effects. Yeah, Soft Effects and, and Telefono, big time. And I think this is just a couple couple years later is when I was gonna say, like, yeah, that there was around the same time. Yeah. Man. So anyway, love it, dude. That's what I'm saying, man. Like they they influenced uh, so many bands. And I, dude, you know what? I also heard, I don't know if it was this one or the last song. I forgot to bring it up, but um, you can hear the Sonic Youth influence on him for sure. And the way that Thurston Moore sings too. And that's that's something that comes up time and time again in David Brown's book on Sonic Youth. Uh, they were never going to make it on the radio, you know, like because of his singing voice, Thurston's singing voice. And Kim Gordon's, but there was something about the way that Black Francis sang that 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 worked because they they became way more successful. I think. Well, here's what I think, dude. It, it has to be that uh, the melodies paired with yeah, paired with the more radio friendly new wave kind of you know side to the post punk coin. They were trying to make simple songs. I think right to, to, to work with. That's the opposite of what Sonic Youth was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, well, real quick, I wanted to. All we've been talking about is, is is Black Francis here. So let me name the rest of the. I guess we talked about Kim too, but let me name the other two players here. So Joey Santiago on lead guitar, and he also did backing vocals. And then David Levering is the drummer. Apparently, he's also the lead vocalist on track ten, "La La Love You," and he plays bass guitar on a track called "Silver." All right. Anyway. So um, I actually have another clip here from uh, number 13, Baby. There's a really cool outro uh, kind of jam, if you will, that kind of happens at the end. And we're going to let this just fade into the very next track, There Goes My Gun. All right. So here is the second part of number 13, Baby.
Yeah, I, th- I think we need to revisit that quote from him, dude. When Francis was saying, you know, we really worked on sounding simple. That's a great example of how they pulled that off. Like, they totally, they nailed it, dude. They kept it simple, but in such a cool way, dude. Well, like, this is such a simple, yeah, <laughs> simple song. Like, I mean, <laughs> just the, the premise behind the, the lyrics, the the song itself like you can you can kind of see why if the music came before the lyrics it it sure sounds like it could be like a a western kind of theme yeah song and apparently that's you know the it's the story is just you know apparently the narrator the person you're hearing you know say these things just encounters an unknown person feels threatened and then shoots them i mean that's a, a tale as old as time in, in the, sure the is, wild man. wild once west that, once that too. gun came out yeah um I, I just I love this song, dude. It sounds almost like a song that came out 30 years prior, prior to, to that, this yeah. record. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, dude. It's just it's really straightforward, yeah. Yeah, but like it's almost got like a 60s vibe to it. I think that maybe is in part to, to Kim Deal, her, her background vocals. And, and, you know, the, like the back and forth kind of vocals. The way she's kind of singing it kind of playfully, like really... Uh, like you said, I think there's a definitely a '60s vibe. Yeah, for sure. I yeah, love right. it, man. Yeah, and let's do. You know what, dude? You you have to. For one, you have to have a producer that's that's gonna allow you to to just kind of explore the I don't know the limits of the of the space in which you're recording. The way that they are recording his vocals, it sounds like he's you know well like that, very yeah. far away from yeah, the, the mic. Verse where he says, "Look at me," he's definitely yelling it from a, from a distance to. To kind of tell this story. Right. And you have to, I mean, you got to be a confident yeah. lead singer. You know, like he, he's got, he's just he knows. brimming with confidence. Dude. He knows. Now, the story there, there's a little bit of a, uh, apparently like their first record, or at least the way that the producer of that record, Steve Albini, I think his name is, uh, the producer of, of uh, Surfa Rosa was saying that like it seemed like a band that was you know a little unsure of themselves or like you know could be malleable in other words like if he felt the need to take the song in a direction he didn't have to fight hard to do it like that's what he probably meant by that like and it was their first record you know so by the time they get to do little they had more confidence and they had already worked on the demos and stuff and then knew they had some good songs but it's funny that you should say that because i have a quote here from from Gill, the producer of Doolittle, saying that, you know, there are these great ideas for songs, but he didn't feel that they had been fleshed out. And so he was trying to do, tr- trying to get, um, I guess, trying to have the band flesh it out, maybe do more things with it. And then Charles apparently got frustrated one day and he went to Tower Records and pulled out a bunch of Buddy Holly records, like greatest hits records, and, and was like, look at this. <laughs> There's a uh, line he says, look, Gil, look at this. And he turned over the record of the Buddy Holly Greatest Hits. And most of the songs were barely over two minutes or whatever. And if they were, then they were like the, the quote unquote epic songs or whatever. So anyway, <laughs> he was like going back to the, to, to the you know, to the the greats that came before him to be like, look, man, I don't need to make this any more complicated than it needs to be. So, so Gil was like, look, man, I feel like we need to flesh out this idea a little more. Yeah. And then, and then Black Francis. So hang on. His name's Charles. His it's name very Charles. confusing. He, he goes by Black Francis. That's his stage name or whatever. So yeah, um, just just a reminder. His name is Charles, but his we name is Charles, yeah. we've been referencing him as both Charles and Black Francis. Well, that's that's what he goes by under, you know, that's his pixie stage name. Yeah, yeah. But that but that's funny, dude. He's like, "Look, we're keeping it simple. That's what we're trying to do." But, but that's we're the trying thing, to keep like, him simple. Look at these Buddy Holly songs. <laughs> right. And I th- what are you going to say, right? If you're a producer, <laughs> what are you going to say to that, right? Right. Well, it's like Buddy Holly, so my hands are tied here. I guess you're right, <laughs> but um, but that but that's funny. But no, dude. it's He's good like, that he fought for that because it works so well. Like it, it sounds to me like on their first full length, uh, Surfer Rosa, maybe he didn't have that confidence to push back on the producer, you know, right. and like make his case for a simpler song. So uh, when you listen to number thirteen, baby, that little outro that we played in the end, that seems to me like you know maybe uh, Black Francis. Charles, if you prefer to call him Charles Q. Maybe Charles, you know, <laughs> I felt prefer like, Black Francis. Well, there you go. He felt like, you know what, let's draw this jam session out and tack this on at the end of the, the song because I think it works really well. Um, 
So he must have felt strongly about that that outro because the rest of the songs are really straightforward and don't really have those long drawn out instrumental sections at all. And that that is the longest song, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Not even four minutes long, man. Yeah, I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago. I I really love it when when bands either you know have a really long intro before they start singing or they have a really long outro so anyway i just i love it when that happens yeah dude me too okay we got one more song here we got the very last track all right this song is called gouge away track yeah dude did they record these live like you know in the same I think, room i think they time? did uh, i think i think there were some songs where like he would record the vocals like in the closet or something like that to try to get a certain sound uh but yeah i think most of them were were live yeah yeah man this is one of those bands that i wish i would have cared about earlier on so that i could have caught them live in their prime and i'm sure they're still well, they yeah, they had a breakup, but but a reunion, I think, in like two thousand four. I've yet to see them live, and I would I would love to to catch one of their shows. Man. Yeah, was... well, I mean, you may or may not know this, Q, but Kim Deal went on to to form the Breeders with her twin sister, which is you know another very well known nineties act. Yeah, um, you know, Cannonball is kind of like their huge huge hit that everybody knows. But um, anyway, so yeah, they had a breakup, and then they they you know Black Francis. Did he's done a bunch of solo stuff? So there's all sorts of um, solo records out there. I think he goes under like Frank Black or something like that. Um, hmm. But anyway, yeah, dude, great. What a great way to to end an album. Yeah, I mean, you start with the baser, you end with Gouge Away. Uh, let's talk about the lyrics, dude. The lyrics are kind of fun. It's it's talking about the 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 Samson and Delilah uh, story from the Bible. Oh, from the Bible. Yeah, because when you basically you're saying like. Hey, yeah, sure. Gouge away. Gouge my eyes out. See if I care. I'm going to come back stronger. Because apparently, <laughs> I, I think the, the the story, if I remember correctly, is he gets his hair cut off and he loses his strength. Something about his eyes getting gouged out or something. Yeah. And then he his hair grows back and he, he you know, crumbles the, the temple or whatever. Is he the one that fights the giant? Man, I don't remember. Uh, I don't dude, remember I think my that's, Sunday school. Uh, David. It's David, dude. Oh, my bad. David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, here we go. Samson had his eyes gouged out by enemy Philistines after his wife, Delilah, betrayed him by shaving his head in his sleep. Uh, oh, yeah. That, make, that makes so, so much sense. Right. And so, apparently... <laughs> uh, right. Um, anyway, but that's the story. Like, you know, he, he gets his strength back somehow, and then he gets his revenge in the end, right? Because he tears down the the palace or the temples or whatever and kills everybody. 
So I think that's the idea. Like, gouge away. I'll come back stronger. You know what I mean? Right. You can damage me, but I'll come back. Anyway. Um. So, yeah, dude. It's a great record. Great record. And we got we we got um we got more greatness coming just around the corner because I feel like the perfect transition from this band. It's there's only one band we could do. I really do feel that way, Q. Yep. Modest Mouse. We're gonna talk Modest about Mouse Modest Mouse too. next next week. And do we have They've always felt like kindred spirits to me. Modest yeah. Mouse and Pixies. Sure. Now I think we're gonna do just a are we going to hone in on one record? Because I think we need to do one of their early records if we do. Yeah, I, I say we do some tracks from the Lonesome Crowded West and then uh, Moon and Antarctica. Because I feel like from those two albums is when, I mean, they start to change. And maybe some people might say for the worse or some might say for the better. But like those are two good albums to kind of see where they went with their sound. Because if you listen to their first two records... To me, they're just like a, a perfect like jam band. Like I don't know, they 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 just have like a, a jam band. Let's just get in a room and play music and see where it takes us. Kind of vibe. That's how yeah I always think of them. Their early stuff, at least, it just sounds like jam sessions. You know, like improv almost. Well, I confess, dude, I don't have too much familiarity with their 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 early stuff. I really don't. So this same with Lonesome be... Crowded West, dude. Yeah, uh, this is going to be new new stuff to me, really. That's exciting. So, I mean, should I not listen? Don't you dare. Okay. All right. I'll bring, so we're going to have some I'll bring the goods. We're going to have some live reactions here. Yeah. You know, I probably I'm probably familiar with, you know, a track or two here and there. Does doing the cockroach mean anything to you? It means nothing. Oh. Me. <laughs> okay. Well, we're not gonna, I don't think we're going to play that song, but Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's all I need to hear, dude. <laughs> that, all right. If that doesn't mean anything to you, then yeah, we're in for some treats for for Mr. Travis. Okay. Next week. I like being in for treats, dude. All right. Well, that's next week. Um, from there, who knows where we'll go? Well, we know because we've we planned out the next few weeks, but uh, we've planned it out. Yeah, we got some we got some some goodies in store for you guys. I'm really pumped for. Where we're where we're heading after this, dude. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun, man. I think so. Yeah. You know, limitless fun. Basically, we could just stay. We're basically we're steering into the two thousands, right? And we're just gonna stay in there for, for the foreseeable future. And our wheelhouse, yeah. Our yeah. wheelhouse, yep. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, that's it, man. So, hey, why don't you follow us on Instagram? We're, we've been having all sorts of fun on Instagram. So. Uh, yeah, just look for No Filler Podcast on Instagram. Follow us there. You can still follow us on Twitter. We're, we're just not as active on there. Actually, we're about as active as we ever were because we, we were never <laughs> active on Twitter. Yeah, but um, just, I just wasn't feeling the vibes on Twitter for a, for a long time, dude. We weren't getting any love on there. We didn't know that the Instagram was was where it's at. So uh, anyway, follow us on Instagram and. Um, Hey, you know what, Q? It's been a while since we've talked about that that microphone in front of your face. The AKG Lyra microphone is a real beauty, dude. I'm a big fan of it. We got hooked up with their Podcaster Essentials Kit, which is the AKG Lyra microphone and this lovely headphones, dude, that I, I don't know the name of the headphones, you know, off the top of my head. I think it's got some letters and numbers in it, but I... This is the most comfortable pair of headphones I've ever owned. Um, really, dude, I could wear this all day. I could walk around all day with these headphones on my dome, and you know, not and they wouldn't be uncomfortable at all. And you'd be like, "Oh, sh- I forgot I was wearing headphones." That's Absolutely, there. <laughs> it's pretty nuts, dude. Because you know, you can attest to this. I can as well. After like an hour, most headphones are starting to hurt my lobes, dude. You know, I can tell you right now the the ones I'm wearing. Yeah. Yeah. It starts to get uncomfortable after a while. And these are not the AKG headphones that you've got. So, And what we've decided, what I've decided after using this pair, this, this, these headphones, this mic, if you are looking to start a podcast, get yourself the AKG Podcaster Essentials Kit. It's a no-brainer, dude. It comes with the AKG Lyra microphone. You know, that's what's recording my voice right now, coming in buttery smooth. And this pair of headphones, it comes with Ableton Live Lite, which is like the the lighter version of Ableton. 
which is the recording program that I use to piece together this episode. That's what I'm recording my vocals in right now, dude. Comes with all of that uh, for a really reasonable price, dude. Like, it's really a no-brainer. Get yourself the AKG Podcaster Essentials Kit if you are looking to start a podcast yourself. And uh, yeah, so thank you, AKG, for supporting the show. And as always, you can find us on the Pantheon Podcast Network. That is the podcast network for music lovers. We've got over 60 shows now, all music-centered, lots of great shows in the network. That is our family. You can find us at pantheonpodcasts.com. And yeah, that's it. Next week, we're coming at you with some Modest Mouse. And until then, thank you as always for listening. My name is Quentin. My name is Travis. Y'all take care. dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.